John, page 1321. Along with your handout, you should have gotten a bookmark that we made. I want you to place that in your Bible right there at 1 John. And uh, so we'll, you'll have access. Did you get one? All right. Who else didn't get one? Did we run out? Okay, let's give Miss Francis one and him one, somebody else. I'll have some more made. I'll make some more this evening. And uh, I want you to put that in your Bible. And then every Sunday, Lord's willing, we're going to begin a brand new service, uh, series today. And um, I'm excited about this because in 27 years of pastoring, I have never done this. I've never started at the first of a book and went line upon line, precept upon precept, verse after verse after verse to the end of the book. But Lord's willing, with the help of the Lord, we want to do that. And we want to start with 1 John on this, this thought of knowing God. And then if we can learn to know Him, then we can dare to believe Him. If we know Him, then we can dare to believe Him. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and showing to you that eternal life, which was with God, with the Father, and was manifested in us. That which we have seen and heard declare unto you, that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy might be full. And turn, if you would, to, over to chapter 5, verse 13. That will be our key verse through this entire series. These things, chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That will be our theme verse throughout this entire series. And so let's go to the throne of grace and ask the Lord to help us. Again, appreciate you being here today so very, very much. All right. Zeke, how about you leading us to the throne of grace? Amen. You be seated. I think it's rather interesting to hear what old men of God have to say, especially at the end of their lives. If you can get aside an old man and listen to, to the advice, as the Bible puts it, the hoary head of wisdom would give you. John, the author of these three Gospels, is one of the sons of Zebedee. The Lord called him the sons of thunder because of their powerful personalities. John was one of that crowd that become part of the inner circle, that intimate group of disciples. But more than that, had an eyewitness and experience in ministry and life that few did. Uh, he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, I forget how rich he with us this morning. All right. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was not given to none other. As a matter of fact, it seems to be there was a unique and special relationship that John had with the Lord. 
Not that the Lord is respect of persons. He's not. But it seemed to be that John had such a desire and passion towards the Lord that could not go unrecognized. And uh, now he writes John, the gospel of John, and he tells us how we can be saved. But in 1 John, it's called a letter, but that's a little bit deceptive because it, it has no introduction or it addresses no one particular church. You know, it, it seemed that John wrote a circular letter. It, it seems that this letter was written direct, or was given to the church of Ephesus. But it seems like the letter uh, went to other churches as well. One that was widely circulated. and uh, But even that, it was intensely personal. Uh, it's a personal that John never mentions his name in this letter. Now, I want you to picture this. He's got this quill and ink and in hand and uh, as he looks back and reminisces over his life for Christ as an apostle and as a missionary. And notice, he doesn't even mention his name. John, at this time, was a, a very old man. The many believe that when this was pinned or close to it, he may have been the only apostle living at that time. But I'll tell you this, he speaks with authority, he speaks pointed, and he speaks uh, desiring to have great influence. First John 2, 1 says, not only that, but he, 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 he speaks as an older man, an aged man, would tell younger people. Notice what he says, my Little children, these things right unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So John tends to go through these five chapters repeating a theme that's on his mind and heart. As we go through this, these books, you're going to find that he repeats a theme over and over, he's somewhat repetitive. But I thought it's interesting. That's how we learn. We learn by repetition. And in first grade, you learn one plus one equals two. I guess it's still that way, isn't it? It's changed. Everything else has changed. You get in second grade, the first day of school, they go over what you learned in the first grade. Repetition, repetition. And there's three main themes as we go through this series that's constantly repeated. Number one, righteousness. Just doing right. Love. Talks about loving God and loving one another. And oh, I love this. Truth. You don't love someone to tell them an untruth. You don't love no one unless you're willing to be honest and tell them the truth. So the righteousness, love, and truth. So here we have an old man at the end of his life. And perhaps many, many writers believe that this was his last letter. Uh, uh, right now, of course, we saw what he records in Revelation. But that was totally a, a different, different from the other books. He's revealing what he sees, what God allowed him to see. So many believe this is his final letter. So let's look and see what he says. And that key verse, that key verse, 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's talking to believers that first of all, that are already saved. Now here this morning, if you're saved, we're going to take a test. On the get-go, we're going to take a test. And we can test your, uh, the fact that you are saved, washed in the blood. You say, preacher, well, I know I'm saved. Because you say you're saved, doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. I, I can say I'm a rocket scientist, but that doesn't make me one. So the reality is, you can voice anything, but can you back it up with the Word of God and what the truth of the Word of God says? So he's writing to those who believed. John twenty thirty one. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So our theme this year is daring to believe and it, got to, it just dawned on me, how can we dare to believe something that we don't know? Or a God we don't know. So today, oh, you say, well, why did this crowd lack assurance of their salvation? Listen to what First John 2, 18 says. Here's the reason. Little children, it is the last time as you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there more, are, are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. In other words, he's simply saying, the reason they're lacking assurance, boy, there's a crowd of Antichrist, and that spirit of the Antichrist, he said, is, is really messing with them, messing with their thinking, messing with their heart. And he said, that was a crowd that never was of us to begin with, so they went out because had they been genuinely saved, they would have hung around. They went out because they never was us to begin with. I would say this. I don't, don't, don't you misquote what I'm saying. Don't you dare misquote what I'm saying. I, I don't agree with foolish preachers. And I say foolish preachers. And I didn't stutter. Because I know preachers say, Well, bless God, they look... Better going and coming. That's stupidity. That's stupidity. I've given my life trying to win people, and then it breaks my heart when people choose not to be here. But I have come to the conclusion if we're preaching the word of God and God's hanging around here and you're lost, you'll have to make a decision. You're going to trust Christ? or you'll be exiting as well. You cannot hang around a bunch of believers and them are loving God and you're lost very, very long. You take that bunch of crowd used to hang around that smoked dope and drunk liquor and you say, boys, God's saved. You start praying over food, you're going to find one thing. You don't have to worry about being around them, they won't be around you. Amen. So it just works itself out. So within the church, there was so group, so-called group of Christians who said that superior knowledge from God, and um, it really messed with Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones said. Assurance is not essential to salvation, but is essential to the joy of salvation. 
And these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. John's writing, he said, I want you to be happy Christians. I want you to have a joy that's overflowing. So he comes and gives them a, a test. Now we live in a world that is quickly, uh, everything is relative. There's nothing black and white, everything's gray. There's nothing right and wrong, everything is relative. And, and we live in a, a, a culture, a society that has moved not from being immoral, but amoral. What's that, what I mean by that? I simply mean this. They had no morals whatsoever. They had no morals whatsoever. And John's message in his books, there's certainties and you can be certain and you can know. Now, and the first thing he says, and he declares without apology that Christians can know with a certainty of the personal salvation. Amen. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe it's something you struggle. Hang around here on Sunday morning, I'll help you. Because I am so glad, not only that I'm saved, but I bless his good name. I know I'm saved. You say, well, bless God, you're one of them Baptists. You believe in eternal security. That's absolutely 100% dogmatically right. I'm one of them. And I'm very proud to be one of them. See, the Bible says, verily, verily, it says in John, you must be born again. The old man uh, said, Nicodemus, and uh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. When I put him up a tree one time, the whole message, amen. But he come down out of the tree, and the Lord went to his house. And so Nicodemus, he said, how can a man, how can an old man enter back into his mother's womb and be born? And the Lord used this illustration. He said, that born of flesh is flesh, and that born of spirit is spirit. Now, what is he using? My children, I know my children belong to us because they were birthed into our family. I can take one drop of their blood and I can give them one drop of my blood and they can come back and say, we know dogmatically without reservation that child is yours and you have to take care of it. Yeah. Well, I've done my part. I've done took care of them. It's belongs to somebody else now. <laughs> Amen. So, but, I, but uh, there's no, they can go, well, I, I don't believe he's my daddy. But I want to tell you something. The blood says it is. Boy, I tell you, I'm so glad I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm so glad I know because what? Because of the blood. You can take one drop of His blood and wash my sins away. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus Christ is your Savior. Now some of you are miserable. Some of you are lost. I didn't stutter. Some of you are lost. Some of you are deceived. And I can, we can take a test so we can know if you're saved or not. 1 John 5, 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sins not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. That wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, has given us understanding that we might know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal 
life. So here's the test. It's a three-point test. So number one, here's the test. And you ought to know. Stop here. Eternity in heaven or hell determines whether you're saved or not. Don't you believe this lie that says there's a purgatory? There's not. To be absent from the bodies, be present with whomever you serve. Number one, doctrinal test. Doctrinal test. There was a group that had come in midst of the church. They were called Ducistus. It means, I think, I seem, I appear. They taught this, that Jesus Christ was not really a man and that Jesus Christ never took on the robe of flesh. They taught that everything in this world that you can see and touch was evil. And they taught that Jesus never was born by a virgin in in Bethlehem, never grew up, so he never died for our sins. Literally, they did the same thing that the Gnostics did later on in simply saying, destroying the deity of Christ. Let me explain that. Jesus, when he came, he was 100% man. He was 100% God. Now, you say, how, how, how was that? If I could explain that, I'd be him. But since I'm not him, I just believe it. He came as 100% man without sin so he could slip in beside you sitting on that pew. And when you hurt, he'd whisper in your ear, I know how you feel. When you're broken hearted, he sat down beside of you and say, I've been broken hearted myself. When you're lonely, discouraged, when you're all alone, he sat down beside of you whispering in your ear, no child, you're not alone. You've never been alone. Just seems that way. He, he become all man that he would know that when we're tempted by sin, and we walk away. How hard that is at times. And it is hard. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Let's quit lying about that. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Problem is, the season runs out. He knows when you're tempted and you have to walk away and say, No, I'm sorry. Can't do that. He understands that. He understands whenever life has just issues that we don't understand. The, the deists and the Gnostics didn't believe that. They didn't believe he came as a man. They believed that Jesus was a, just a man. The Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit died, went back up, and he was just a man. But no, may I remind you, he was the God-man. Not 50-50, not half and half. He was all God and he was all man. Now we'll look at that tonight. There's three on the mount, that personal encounter. We'll look at how he revealed himself not only as a man, but then in a moment's notice, he showed himself as God, as what he was. So the reality was, he said, they, they said, this ain't going, this is, ain't true. John 1 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. The disist, disism believed this. They believed material things in the universe was evil. And that your very flesh was evil. And so they also believe this. Since it's all evil and we're robed in flesh, that we can, anything we do in our physical bodies would not be evil because we're evil to begin with. Now I'm not sure if I can wrap my mind about that. Because you're robed in flesh, you're evil, so you can commit sin, and it's not evil because you're already evil. That's what they believed. Literally, literally, they believed that you could sin, no consequences. Hey, are you listening? You could sin and no consequences. That you could do wrong, no consequences. So they believed that Jesus didn't actually come as a man. And if he did, he was just a man. But he didn't, wasn't God. Now the answer to that is 1 John 4, 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist whereby you have heard that he should come and even now already is, is it in the world. Literally, any spirit that tells you Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, it's an, it's an Antichrist spirit, it's evil, and it's wrong. But every spirit that says, yes, Jesus came as a son of God and died for my sins, every spirit, he said, that's, that's me. That's me. So, it was a doctrinal test. James Montgomery Boyce said, the system produced a type of religion that was divorced from history. Because history tells us Jesus was born as a man in the Bethlehem manger, lived among men while he was the Son of God, the Christ of God. He was a man otherwise he could not have been the Savior of the world. See, wages of sin is death. All have sinned come short of the glory of God. All of us. The wages of that sin is death. Understand this. You pay the sin debt or somebody pays the sin debt for you. If I woke up to God say, I want to pay the sin debt for my child, he'd say, unacceptable. The offering is tainted. I can't accept it. But when Jesus walks up to the Father, said, Father, I want to pay the sin debt. And the Father says, I'll accept it. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He said, I'll accept your payment for sin. That's salvation. You, wages of sin is death, but the gift of how much will it cost me? Cost you anything, but it cost him the gold of his blood and the silver of his tears. It cost him everything. So first of all, there's a doctrinal test. Are you saved? Are you saved? Then there's a moral test. Many believers who are now children of believers or even grandchildren of that first group of believers. Acts, the book of Acts of the Apostles, you'll find Paul was preaching the gospel I mean, against the goddess Diana. And uh, I'm telling you, the people 
were excited. They were, they, they were thrilled. And they added to the church such as be saved. But here in First John, we got second and third generation Christians. And this crowd had lost the wonder of what Jesus had done. They had lost the excitement. They had like this, this group had, had become very familiar with Christianity. They knew the right answers to give. Well, if you die now, do you go to heaven? Yes. Are you saved? Yes. I, yes, I'm saved. They knew church terminology. They knew all the terms. They knew all the language. They, they knew what to say when they come to an altar to pray. They knew how to work in the ministries of a church. They knew they could sing the songs of Zion as well as the others. But they were so familiar with Christianity, there's nothing done in their heart. And I don't care how long you think it. The Bible says all the issues of life stem from the heart. Can I ask you a question? Don't mean to pry, but it is one that concerns me. If you say, I'm saved and born again, washed in the blood, how can you deliberately disobey the Word of God and forsake the house of God? How can you do that? Now, I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I was mentioned another day about a man. And I made a statement. Well, I ain't sure he's saved. He's dogmatic he is, but he never darkens the doors of the house of God. Never comes. So let, let me ask you a question. How, how, how does that work? Because, I, I, and I know life, I know we got jobs that, that, that keep us, that we have to work. And I know there's some things, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm talking, here's what bothers me. It's not where you come or don't come. It, what's bothering me is why there's not a desire in your heart to be there. If Jesus has saved you, where's that desire in your heart to be there? Boy, I was sick. I missed the house of God. Boy, I just missed it so bad. You know, because it's in my heart. It's in the heart. So I want to ask you a question. What's in your heart? Sounds like what's in your wallet, don't it? What's in your heart? They become familiar with Christianity. Number two, they became tainted with the world. Ephesus was no longer a place of persecution. They were unconcerned and at peace with all the false doctrine that was entering just as Paul warned them. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. He said... They were so comfortable with sin, it didn't bother them no more. Ask you a question, okay? Might be talking to men more than I'm talking to women, but I'm talking to all of us. What would you do, what would you do if you woke up one night and looked and somebody's peeping in to your bedroom. Probably get shot. Okay. At your bedroom. Then let me ask you a question. What do we need to do you if you have already movies in your house and you're looking into the nudity and perverseness in that show? What do we need to do to you? We've gotten too comfortable with sin. 
We've gotten too comfortable with sin. We don't call sin what it is no more. We don't call that man a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's sick. Don't call, a, don't, don't, don't call that one uh, 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 a name. They, they, that's, they, they was born that way. No. The Bible calls it an abomination. And, and the sodomites, that's what they are. See, we got to, we're, we're too comfortable with sin. See, this group here had just got comfortable. They used to be persecuted. They're not persecuting now no more. And sin was rampant in Ephesus. First John 1, 6 and 4, we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The theology of sin was wrong because the false teachers had maintained that sin is essential to the flesh. So you might as well just, it's okay, just whatever the flesh wants to do. 1 John 2, 30, here's the answer to the test. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not the commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Can I ask you a question? I'm just being a bit gun straight now and, and I know it's going on the radio. I'm going to ask you young people something. Are you sleeping around? Can you commit fornication and say you're saved? Are you comfortable with that? Can you? Now I'm telling you, you're, you're living a lie. You are living a lie. Can you rebel against your parents, young people? I mean, rebel against your parents. And they say you're saved and love God. You're living a lie. None of us are perfect. And none of us are. But I tell you this much. It's about time we got honest with our own hearts. It's living some of you to rebel. I tell you one thing. I ain't submitting. I know I ain't gonna submit. And you say you're saved and rebel and reject the word. It's the word of God. So you see, it's, it's, they had done that. They got so comfortable and, and, they're, and, and living in sin become their normal. Their normal. And when you live or start living in sin, guess what? You lose that assurance, your salvation. Or you just don't care. I mean, none of us are perfect. And none of us are what we should be as Christians. I say amen to that. And we all feel guilty when we fall short. But there is something that I find in believers that want to love God. They have a desire and a longing to do all they can to obey the Lord in whatever He wants them to do. They're not constantly, constantly. God, Bible says this. Bible says Bible says this. Chicken and everything. The Bible says, unless you're one of these Gnostics and these dissists that says this, I'm smarter than the Bible. I'm smarter than you, preacher. I know more than you do. You're not going to teach me nothing. I already know more. You're just a dumb hick and you don't know what I know. Don't you know why my status in life? Well, if you sin... It don't bother you. Your status is you're lost. And it's time you got honest about where you're at. Wouldn't it be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible? You're sitting here this morning and God got sick of your foolishness. Got tired of your foolishness. Said this day thy soul be required of thee. And you stood before God. Lord! Lord! Sang in the choir. Lord, I worked in the ministry. Lord, as a member of the church. Lord, as a pastor's wife, a deacon's wife, a preacher's wife. Lord, Lord. 
He looks at you and says, I'm sorry. I never knew you. Why you was drugged to hell forever. See, here was a group that sin had become rampant. We are living in the most wicked day, folks, we have ever seen. Nothing is sin. There's a doctrinal test. There's a moral test. Now you can live doctrinally. Yes, sir, preacher. I know what the Bible says. And I believe the Bible. You can pass a moral test. Praise God, I know what I believe morally. I the best I can. Not perfect, but the best I can. I'm going to try to love God and serve God and be obedient to God. But this right here, boy, hangs us. You better listen very, very carefully. What about the social test? If, any, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a Liar. Do you hear what I said? For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Come here, Eddie. He loves it when I use him as illustration. Put him up here beside me, you'll find out how much better looking I am than him. Amen. God said, if I can't love him whom I have seen, how in God's name can I love a God? I'm not saying, look up this way. Look up this way. Some of you are full of hate. Some of you are mean or junkyard dogs. No, I didn't stutter. I said, some of you are meaner than a junkyard dog. But any dog, I hate. Some of you are meaner. But you'll say, I, I, I know I'm saved, but I hate that person. You are a bald-faced liar according to the Word of God. Thank you. And I do love you. You drive me crazy sometimes, but I love you. No, I do. How could you, some of you, sit right now. You'll sit, you'll stand up. But praise God, I love Lord Jesus. And go home and hate members of your family. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What kind of Christianity? What did you get that kind of Christianity from? Some of you say, I love God, but you hate people at school, at work. Now, I've got some people that I don't get along with too good. But hate... Hate, to my knowledge, than a man on earth that I hate. I can't. I, I won't eat dinner with everybody. There's some people we just don't jive. Does everybody know what that means? Amen. Just don't jive together. I mean, our personalities clash and that. But I don't hate them. I don't hate them. The Bible says, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how in the world are you going to love God whom you're not seen? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's a test. It's time we got real graveyard and honest. If there is anybody that you hate, you need to be saved. You're, you're kidding yourself. You say, you don't know what they did to me. I promise you, whatever they've done to you, I've experienced it. They cursed me. 
being cursed. They abused, being abused. They betrayed, being betrayed. Now, all that. You don't, you don't know. They left me in a mess. Been there. Been there. But hate. Years ago, I had a man wrote me letters. And for ever so long, I kept those letters in my desk. When I'd want to get mad, I'd read those letters. Now, I'm just being honest. When I want to get mad, I just read them letters. One day, God just arrested my heart. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm wanting to get mad again. He said, why? So what are you doing? He said, when are you going to tie them letters up and throw them away and stop? Maybe next week. But next week wasn't good enough. I remember sitting in my office. I remember it's like yesterday. And I know God don't speak audibly. He didn't have to. It was much louder. He said, and when you're going to do business, I want them things tore up and be done with that. Then, since you're going to act that way, I want you to pray for that man. One Sunday, down here in the church, a man come in. He did wrong. And I got mad. I ain't going to lie to you. I got mad. I mean, I got beside myself because he did wrong. He did wrong. And uh, towards one of our members, he did wrong. I got mad. That evening, he called me, said, uh, I ain't got any food, but the church kept me the food. Help you! I want to help him. So I called Brother George. I said, you ain't going to believe. This man called me, wanted me to give him food. And George said this, Now, preacher, what would the Lord do? Just come. I, I wanted to say, George, I ain't what I hear. What would the Lord do? He said, preacher, just, just go in and give him some food. I, I'm honest with you. I boxed him, but I ain't going to lie to him. I, I, just being honest, I got me a little bitty box Put about two cans in it. So I know some of you more spiritual than I am. You put three cans, but I put two. I started out of the office. God said, what are you doing? He said, if you're going to act that way, he said, I want you packing the biggest and best box you can. That's what I've done. And man came and got the food. And I looked at him, I said, I believe you were wrong what you did yesterday. But it's a privilege to feed you. And he thanked me. Who are you hating this morning? Some of you, some of you young people. I wonder sometimes if you've got a brain. I hate my mom and daddy. Huh? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It ain't your mom and daddy. It's you that's got the problem. My mom, my dad's not here. I'd give a thousand worlds if they were. He wasn't a perfect man, but boy, I'd love to sit down and talk with him. I'd love to. I'd love to.
I love to talk to my mom again. See, we got, we're talking about sin, knowing you're saved, knowing the social test. We are good, the doctrinal, the good at the moral, but we're not very good. What did you say about that fellow that cut you off last week? What kind of thoughts did you have when that fellow cut you off? Did you, did, did you, did you want to do like one third dumb woman hitting me, run her down? I, uh, <laughs> David, don't give yourself away. I'm not going to tell him. Do you? What? 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 If you're saved, two Christians can work things out. Me and Miss Stein just had some tears. We're probably going to have some more. But we've never had a tear that we couldn't work out. Bible says don't go to bed angry. We've been up late many nights. (laughs) But because we're Christians... And we're saved. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you truly saved? Do you know Christ? Are you? Now either you're saved or lost. You're right or you're wrong. You're living in truth or you're living false. You're living a lie. It's either salvation or damnation. You're either serving Christ or you're serving the end of Christ. Right now... So I'll stand to her feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you search your heart and ask yourself, before God, the doctrinal test, the moral test, and the social test. Would you test yourself? Not somebody beside of you. Don't look to somebody else. I'm going to ask you, you test yourself.